Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Investor Frame Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Sparks. And on this show, we ask successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs to share their stories so we can all learn from their experiences and get closer to the things that we want in life. Today, I'm here with Council Glenn. Council is uh, doing some incredible things with land entitlements and developments. I'm extremely excited to share because He's sort of the inspiration for how I got into doing some of that stuff and adding some things to the upside side of my barbell. Um, but he's going to talk a little bit about you know how he started in construction in high school. He got into new construction, taught him a lot about building. He learned how to wholesale, which I think is really cool because that showed him how to do it at a much higher level. You can wholesale land, and that's what he's doing right now. So... Um, Council, welcome into the show, man. I'm extremely excited to have you because as I was telling you before we started this, you have made such a massive impact on my uh, my own business. So I'm ex I'm just happy to have you in, man. Welcome in. Man, thanks, man. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I feel honored. <laughs> it's well, always good to hang out with you, though. You won the belt at at CG a few times ago, right? Presenting on this and yes, sir. Funny thing, yes, sir. I I vividly remember this is you were you're you're still fairly new to that community, although you've been in real estate for a long time. But you know, you were like asking a bunch of questions in the chat, like not sure what to present on. I'm very nervous, and I was like, this guy's gonna come in and knock it out of the park. Just watch, and that's exactly what you did. That's literally what happened, man. <laughs> I was super nervous though because man, I was like, "What can I give?" I mean, you at the time, I was I still felt like, man, I don't know if I belong with this group of guys. This is collective genius, like you know. And so I was just nervous as to making sure that I brought something that was of value. But yeah, the like the week before, I'm like, man, I, I have no clue what to present on. And um, I said, let me let me give them my best shot, and that was my best shot. Well, it was killer. And we're going to pull out a lot of that information today. So uh, this is going to be a really great interview. Why don't we start with a six word update like we start with every show? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, my six word update is, is head down, stick to the basics. And um, and I, if I can explain the, the reason why is man, sometimes I know me personally, I got to really guard myself from shiny object syndrome. <laughs> I get a new project, a new idea or something. Uh, new and big that's going and I can divert my energy into it easily. But man, that 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 payday may be nine months, two years from now, where the basics, the the flips, the wholesales, um, the rentals are, are what I need to kind of put more energy into until those um, bigger projects come to fruition, which they have been and will continue. But I can lock in on a big project and get excited and just missed my daily task because of the excitement of a, another big shiny object. So just sticking to the basics, knocking those things out prior to devoting time and energy to something new. Yeah, it's such good advice. And, um, you know, that's why when we're going to get to this, this whole idea of the barbell, like that's why that framework has been so powerful, uh, at least for me, because I can, I can quickly recognize where does this fit on the bar? You know, um, it's really hard mm -hmm. to spend. It's really easy for us real estate investors, let's say, to get distracted by all these incredible ways to make money in real estate. I mean, there's land. There's like, I mean, I'm getting enamored by commercial and multifamily and seeing guys, you know, take self down storage, self storage, RV parks, all these things. And you're like, Airbnb. whoa, <laughs> yeah. And they're making crazy amounts of money. And then 
you know, but the risk is you're trying to do all these different things and then you start neglecting the, uh, excuse me, the reliable side of your barbell. And then all of a sudden you start losing reliability. You start shifting these things into the middle of the bar where you're taking on more risk than you need. Um, yeah. So well, tell us a little bit about you and how you got into real estate, your journey into the businesses that you own and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, man, it, it all started in ninth grade. <laughs> I was still in Chicago, born and raised, um, took a drafting class. And that summer between graduating eighth grade and going into freshman year high school, uh, we had like a two week little camp where we were meeting and drafting. We were downtown Chicago drawing buildings and, and making popsicle stick buildings. And I was like, oh, man, I knew then I wanted to be an architect. So I spent all of my time drawing house plans. I got a, um, a drafting table for my 16th birthday. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to buy magazines and draw houses all the time. Uh, went to A&T, uh, North Carolina A&T State University, and majored in architectural engineering and took a construction management course. Once I got in the field, I said, oh, wow, hold on. <laughs> this was a lot cooler than sitting behind a desk. Still allowed you to do some creative things um, and, and encompass some of that design aspect. Um, and then just uh, went and tried my best to find, be able to learn from somebody. So um, my mentor at the time was an accountant for a small construction company. Uh, and he was doing some uh, single family homes and uh, got on with him, learned project management and learned the process of construction. And um, once, you know, I think this was pre-08. So 08 happened. He couldn't afford me anymore. Um, and then I just tried to go out on my own and, and been doing it ever since. So started off doing small rehabs, you know, flooring, paint. I did a commercial kitchen uh, and then a house that caught fire, created two YouTube videos for those. And the rest is history, as they say. Mm. Uh I started doing a ton of rehabs, built eight or nine new construction homes. Um, and then I started working for these investors and they would kind of beat me down on price a little bit as a GC. Um, and now I, I was like, man, how are you guys finding these properties? And that's when I learned the concept of wholesaling. And that really changed the game because I could fire all of my customers and find my own properties and do my own work. And I loved that model a lot better. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I mean, you work for yourself, right? You don't have to work for exactly. clients and take orders. It's, you know, you're building your own business. That's the power of investing. It's the power of being able to find your own deals, you know? Yes. Um, that's where a lot of investors, I think, well, a lot of uh, construction guys can't make that jump because they don't know how to find their own deal. So how did you go about building a wholesaling business, finding your own deals. What was that process like? I mean, it was easy. Well, it, it, it's a wealth of information. YouTube University is one of the greatest assets. So, man, I learned the concept of driving for dollars. Um, got the deal machine app, added 100 properties, and single dialed them one by one using my Google voice number. That's how I started. Uh, just I wanted to make it as bare minimum as possible just so I didn't get enamored with tech and systems just you know to the basics and um got my first three or four deals um eventually got a um i think it was a mojo dialer uh triple dialer pulled my first list and then started hiring vas and matriculated up you know and then um started keeping a few 
Um, I remember one of the first houses I, I got, it was a $5,000 house. <laughs> but I, 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 was, I didn't have any cash. And so I, you know, we wholesaled it for, I think, like 27 Made a nice check, but man, that house was 170 fixed up. Um, but you know, it had a, a tree fell in it um, from a tornado, and the hedge fund was selling it for five thousand yeah. uh, dollars. But but again, and, and that I'll come back to that as far as my greatest lesson. But it was just part of the process, you know, a part of the process. So, mm-hmm. so what does your wholesaling business look like today? We do about three or four deals a month. Uh, I got two VAs, just brought on a texter. Um, do some consistent deals, man. We get about 50, 60 leads a week. I got some automation going in now where, you know, some of those not so warm leads are getting, you know, texts, you know, quarterly, sometimes monthly, depending on, uh, you know, where they're on the scale. Uh, but we consistently close about three or four deals a month. Um, I could ramp it up, but it's, me and one other part-time person. So I, I kind of like it that way because it allows me to focus on some other things that we do in the real estate realm. So I'm, I'm good where I'm at right now. Yeah, it's so funny because you and I see things very similarly. It's not, um, I don't view wholesaling as a, as a business that I want to grow and scale. It's sort of like a means to an end. Like, yep. I need deals and I need them cheap and I need them off market. I want to go straight to the source, right? Um, but but a lot of real estate investors, and this is not necessarily a bad, I'm not suggesting that like growing a massive wholesaling business is not a viable way to make money. It's right. just, it's a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah. Got to yeah. manage all these people, all these, you know, it's a massive, you're growing a sales and marketing beast, right? That's what it becomes. Managing people, managing all these systems. You got cold calling, you got texting, you got direct mail. You got to make sure that when you pay for these leads on the front end, they don't always close, uh, you know, first or second call. You got to have processes, stay in touch with all these people. And what I found is there's like a, there's like a, you don't really want to go above a certain threshold. Otherwise it starts becoming a significantly more time consuming business. Is that what you've observed? Agreed 100%, man. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have a local friend of mine here who, I mean, he's constantly hiring acquisitions managers just because every 90 days, guys just get burnt out or yeah. they go and do it on their own or, you know, he's just having a hard time finding quality people. I mean, he has a huge 200 square foot office cubicles everywhere. And it's just him. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes he'll have two or three guys and the next month is two guys and the next month is six and then it's one. And it's just constantly changing those ebbs and flows. I don't, I don't need that. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want it either. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it's what I found was that I got distracted by the tool, right? I learned how to use this cool tool and I was like, wow, this actually works. Let's just go all in and try to make, you know, like make my whole life this particular tool when you know, we'll, we'll kind of use this to transition into the solvable problem conversation. It was like, well, why, why do you want that? Why do you want, why did you want a wholesaling business in the first place? It's like, well, so I could find leads. Okay. So do you really need to build an entire business around that? Or is there other ways that you can make money, let's say with less risk, less effort 
And you have, because of those two things, because you're not consumed by the business all day, it's not taking up all of your time. You're constantly hiring and firing and watching systems and all these things. It, it allows you to pick your head up and go after deals that can really move the needle and get you where you're trying to go significantly faster. And actually it's a lot less effort. That's what I found. Right. So yes, tell me a little bit about like your solvable problem. Why are you doing all these things? What are you driving towards in your life? And what does that look like for you? Yeah. So for me, the end goal is to do what I want when I want. <laughs> and uh, uh, Growing up, uh, I, I didn't have a, my father wasn't there. Um, I didn't meet him until I was 23. And I have two boys and my wife been married 15 years. And man, my eight and 10 year old, just spending as much time with them as I can. We homeschool them. Um, so time, and that time together is very important to me. Being able to take trips and do things as a family is way more important to me than, um, you know, pulling 16 hour days. Um, no, no knock against anybody that does it. Hey, sometimes you have to put the grind in and I'm not afraid of the grind at all. Um, but I value my time and experience with my family more than more than that so it's a, it means to an end you know the wholesale and the real estate and rentals the development stuff is geared towards getting to a point where um, if i choose to take a month off uh, you know all my needs are met i'm able to do what i want when i want still um if, if, if that's the, the route we choose to go so yeah I love it, man. And that's, I, I have a similar, you know, I would say that as mine is very similar to that. I want to do what I want when I want. I like to say that, you know, I want to design my life so I can play it the same way I play sports, pick up basketball. You know, what's the best part about that is I don't have to show up for practice. Like I just show up yep. when I want to play. I don't have to play. I play because I want to play. If there's days when I would rather not do that, then I don't show up. And that's sort of what you're saying here. I have a question that uh, is, is something I struggle with, which is, okay. it's like two sides of the coin, right? We say that we want to have options. Really, that's kind of what you're suggesting here is I want to have mm -hmm. a ton of options. I can do this or I cannot do this. I can take a month off mm -hmm. or I can hustle and grind if that's, if that's the time of, you know, my life or, or your life, I should say, um, that you're in. But like, how do you wrestle with the shiny object syndrome on the other side? Meaning there's so many cool, exciting ways to build a business um, and to do different things in real estate that can make money. But it takes a massive amount of restraint to, to have both of these things, to have your time and to have options, but be, be able to say no to, to most things. So you can say yes to the things that actually matter. How do you handle that? Man, I don't know if it's the military, you know, I did six years um, or what, but I've never really had a problem with that. <laughs> Being in semi-successful humbly or in real estate, man, you get opportunities thrown at you all the time. I remember when crypto was hot. <laughs> You know, everyone was, man, you need to try this. I said, man, if it don't involve doors and toilets, I, it's, it's not up my, you know, up my alley. And then, uh, you know, you start seeing like rental arbitrages where, or, or Airbnbs. And it's like, hold on, wait a minute. But it's like, wait, it's taken away from where you want to go. So I think the one of the things that's helped me the most is I literally have a written plan. 
on how to get where I want to be. And so if it's not on that plan, not that I won't add it, but if it doesn't fit, um, I just, it's it's an easy no, because I believe my plan is the way, my route for me to get there. And so it's it's hard, it's not as hard because I have a written step-by-step plan on how to get there. Now, of course, it's not um, super, super, super detailed, but it's, it's pretty toned in or, hey, this is what you need to do. This is how much you need to make. This is what, at this point, you should be here. You're five, boom, sit yeah. back and evaluate what you want to do after that. It's so important to write this stuff down because, Absolutely. you know, your brain plays, plays tricks on you because you'll say things to yourself like, ooh, but I could make more money if I did this. I could get there faster if I did this. Um, and what I found yeah, quick is- stories. Yeah, please. Yeah, so um, a buddy of mine, he, he has like a trucking company. He has like seven, eight trucks and he does a pretty good amount about maybe 30, 40,000 per truck per year. I was like, I was telling my mentor, yeah, I'm going to go get me a truck. I'm going to start this new business. Uh, he's like, how much would you make off that truck? I was like, you know, on the low end, things go terrible, 25 grand. He said, what if you just did one more flip? And I was like, good point. <laughs> one of the things you we tend to overdo entrepreneurs underestimate the amount of work it goes in to take on a new endeavor or a new side of a business and it'll it'll always take away from what you're currently doing and so his thing was instead of going to this new shiny object why don't you just dive dig a little bit deeper into what you're already doing or you know find a way to take take some of your costs down to make that extra money up over the spread of 10 flips you know if you can reduce some labor costs, you can make that extra 25, as opposed to uh, going through all the hassle it is to start the new company, learn new systems, learn new processes, hire a driver, um, and depend on them to go pick and drop off loads consistently to make you the money uh, that you're projecting to make. And again, if it all went well, you made 30, 40,000, great. But what if you did one, two more flips? without picking up all of that extra time and energy into a new venture. Yeah. Well, it, it just makes sense. It makes so much sense, but I think it's just like, why do, why does our brains play this trick on us? You know, why does this, why do we have to, it, it's so obvious when you say it like that. Um, one of the things that we're talking with our whale club community about right now is this idea that, you know, let's say that a lot of us run businesses where we have revenues per month in the, let's say, fifty dollars to $100,000 range. You know, mm-hmm. not anything like life-changing, but it's, you know, that's revenue, of course. And so, well, a lot of times we'll sit there and we'll say, well, all I need is about $10,000, $20,000 a month. Let's say it's $10,000 a month to live the life that we want to live right? To live comfortably, to have reliable income. Like it's pretty safe to say most of us could probably live off of $120,000 a year and be very comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And what we'll end up doing is we'll say, okay, well, let's say we're making $50,000 a month. And we focus so hard on trying to go from, you know, three deals a month at $50,000. We want to go to six and we want to get it to $100,000 a month. But the 
but the effort to, to double your business is it's like, well, what if you could just save $10,000 a month in your current business? You don't even need to do any more deals because there's margin associated with that, right? The amount of revenue that you need to add to capture an extra 10,000, like you might need to add another $50,000 a month in revenue to actually put right. another 10 grand in your pocket. But to your point, it's like, well, why do we do that? We look for other ways instead of sitting here and saying, how do I just save $10,000 a month and put it back into my pocket? Right. I don't know why, because our brains are wired towards more. Our brains are like our, our, you know, our lizard brain, the brain that we've had for, you know, thousands and thousands and millions of years, right, has evolved to the point where we're like sitting here saying, yeah, but our survival brain says, how do I get more? How do I get more? And what I'm trying to retrain my brain is to say, like, how do you do <laughs> the same amount of work, but make more money by, by reducing cost or by adding just one more flip? Don't go start a new business. Just use the business that you already have. Play within these bounds. You've already got reliability there. You can get where you're trying to go way faster if you just rewire your brain not towards chasing more. But how do we do the same amount with less risk and less effort? Agreed. Agreed 100%. And that's what that lesson taught me, man. It was, it made the most sense in the world. And I never looked in the trucking again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool, man. And so solvable problem, you know, is you want to be able to, to play when you want to play, you know, to do what you want when you want to. And, and that's what like a lot of us get into entrepreneurship for. But if you don't have these yep. bumpers, if you don't have this roadmap as you're describing it, Right. It's very easy to get off track and to start saying yes to the tricks that your brain plays on you. I could make more if I did this. I could get there faster if I did this. I struggle with the comparison trap. Yeah, but this yeah. guy has a trucking business. I want to figure out how to do that. Right. And you start like it's just a competitive thing, I think. Um, yeah. and, and, and clearly you've done such a great job of mastering that and not falling you know victim to a lot of these things yeah it's hard not to man because you see it i mean especially with uh, you know these things um you know on us and just kind of people posting highlight reels a lot you 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 see a lot of opportunities yeah in, in ways that man i can do that man i can do that too uh but you know i was just telling uh, another gentleman a couple of days ago i was like man i just i read a dive deeper as opposed to wider um, because I just, I just feel like, you know, it, it, in, in particular, I was talking about, you know, markets. He was asking me about some out of state stuff. And I was like, I, I would just rather dive deeper in my market than, uh, you know, go three, four hours away. Um, that's just me, you know, and that's, but yeah, man, it, it happens all the time. And it's not just in business, it's in life. You know, we see other people doing things and, and, and then we compare it, but we don't know the roadmap they took to get to that point. How much effort, energy, how many bumps and bruises that they, you know, they've endured to get to that point. And a lot of times, like I said, we underestimate the amount of effort that it takes to, to complete a task. Yeah. Well, and so let's talk about land and entitlements. Yeah. Because that is so cool. Because I, I love what you did is you built this wholesaling business. You got it to the point where it was ultra reliable. You weren't interested in scaling from three to four deals to six to you know eight deals, doubling the business, let's say. You kept it 
at the same place and you're building more reliability into it because you found this incredible opportunity on the other side of the barbell which is land yep. and entitlements. And you have this experience as a construction uh, in construction, you know what it's like to build new homes, you know, those, that world, and you took what was working for you in the wholesaling business. And you just started wholesaling a different type of product. So tell us a little bit about that transition. Tell us what you're doing in that world. Absolutely, man. So in my wholesaling process, I would always have land in my list. Uh, this is the point where I'm, you know, pulling bulk list, 10, 20, 30,000 addresses. And I would just skip right over it, skip right over it, skip right over it. And one time I, I looked at a property um, on my spreadsheet, it was 17 acres and it was in Greensboro. I said, wait a minute, I know that road. Um, called a buddy of mine. And he said, I said, man, what can we do with this? And he's a new construction guy. And he, I didn't know at the time, but he, he did land development. He said, man, we can develop it. And so he walked me through the process and land development or land entitlement is simply taking a raw piece of land and getting the municipality, whether it's the city, the county, the parish, to agree to allow you to build it into a subdivision. And that requires a lot of things like what the, what, what the zoning is and getting the site engineered. And there's some steps in the process to do that. But what, what Paul was talking about, the wholesaling side of it is I never take title. Um, I get it under contract, ask for the terms, and I'll spend some money in the between time doing the engineering, the surveys, the wetland delineation, and getting the city to approve the plans. Because at that point, once the plans are approved, I just three, four X what that value of that land is. And now I can assign it and make money without cutting the grass, cutting the tree down. Um, and it's a tremendous ROI. Mm. Yeah, and we use this framework we call the barbell to yep. illustrate on one side, we have reliable, consistent stuff, right? That's your rentals. That's your wholesaling business. Um, and that runs, right? It runs. It, it requires a certain amount of attention. It's not like saying it's passive. There, right. I think there are people get the, that term mixed up. Passive and reliable are very different terms. They can often be similar. You can have something that's passive and reliable, but it doesn't always mean that it's no work. But like you right. have, you know what you're going to spend on this side. And then on the other side, we want to take asymmetric bets to the upside. What that means is that the upside is huge and the downside is small. And the way that you've structured these deals, and that's what we like about wholesale, is that like we're not taking title. You know, the worst case is, you know, we're out earnest money, I suppose, in, in a lot of cases. Maybe there's some reputational risk if you're constantly the person putting contracts under, you know, uh, properties under contract and you're just dropping them. Mm -hmm. But you're doing the same thing, but you're just doing it at a much bigger scale. It's the same transaction, except... And let's talk through that. So let's, you've got this piece of land, let's say this 17 acres and you say, yep. wow, this would make a great subdivision. And I'm the seller. How are you structuring this with the seller so that you keep your downside very low and you give yourself tremendous amount of uh, exposure to upside? Yeah. Hey, Paul, listen, man, we uh, really like this site, um, but our goal is to develop this and make it into a subdivision. Paul, in order to do that, I got to get my engineer to draw the site out, um, you know, get my curb and gutter, water and sewer in, all my utilities, the grading plan, 
also got to get this to the city. I got to have a pre-sketch plan review, uh, initial review, and a final review. Um, all of that stuff takes time. So pause probably going to take me somewhere between seven and nine months between the time you and I sign a contract to the time the city says, yes, you can do it. Um, and for me to give you the price you want, I need that thing, those things to happen. So I need nine months due diligence in order to make those things happen. Probably for some reason, we walk away in the middle of the process, we find some wetlands, a report comes back negative. We give you all the information we've had. So when you go to the next seller, they'll know ahead of time and it'll save you time. But in order for us to get the max value and the max use out of this land, we have to go through that process. How does that sound to you? Well, I guess, you know, I've owned this land for years and years and years, and I'm not doing anything with it. I suppose I can wait another nine months to get paid on it. It sounds good. We'll give you monthly check-ins just to let you know where we are. Uh, we will need some form signed when it's time to do the rezoning with the city, but we'll be in constant contact with you. Nothing nagging, just monthly check-ins. And when important meetings come up, we'll make sure you're aware. Yeah. Well, I love it. And and what you're doing is you're giving them the price that they want. You know, with land, it's tough to get financing on land, right? And oh, especially yeah. you're speculating when you're buying a raw piece of land that you can get the things that you want to get done to the city, that it meets with their future land use plan, that there are no wetlands. We don't struggle with wetlands in Colorado. Right. But, um, you know, there's all sorts of risks, let's just say, that there yeah. are between the time of say, hey, yeah, I'd like to buy this piece of property. Now, I could pay you 30 cents on the dollar if you want me to buy the, the land in cash. But I don't think you're interested in that. I think you're interested in probably getting, you know, a higher dollar value in order for me to do that. I need to hold I need you to hold on to it for another nine months. And then when we close on it, uh, I can get you that price. Is that kind of how it goes? Yep. Exactly how it goes. And you're right, man. I had, I've had two deals recently where the first 17 acre track or the first one I did, we had it mapped out for 72 lots, uh, mixed between single family townhomes. Wetlands report came back, knocked it all the way down to 26. Mm -hmm. but, but we had a price anchor with the seller at you know uh, $10,000 per lot that we can get. And so we were able to get a price reduction and still make the deal work. Looking at my email right now, I got uh, one that was a 30-acre site. We had it mapped out for 96 units. Uh, we knew there was a wetland, but the development ordinance made us stay off the stream 100 feet on each side, wiped out 30 lots. Mm -hmm. um, even though it was a stream, there were no wetlands, according to the report. But the development ordinance says if there's a stream, 100 feet buffer on each side. So when things like that happen, uh, you know, that, that's a risk because the seller could say, no, we're not taking a uh, payment reduction. And, and again, you walk away or, you know, if they still want to sell and give them, you know, we showed them, hey, this is our sketch plan. Before we went to the city, they told us, no, here's a new layout based on the lot counts. We need a price reduction. Yeah. Yeah. So there's risk on the front end. Right. There's risk on the front end because we don't know how many lots for sure we can get. We're going to make our best estimate based on, you know, the zoning codes and like what the documents that the city produces. Right. There's and there's like zoning resolutions. Like what is the current zoning? How does this fit with the future land use plan for the county? What are they trying to do with this area? You know, um, 
you described a term called a donut to me one time, which is like yeah. you want to look for properties that are sort of surrounded by other areas that are being developed. And so, you know, there's all sorts of things that you just described that you can do to mitigate your risk on the front end. But then you've also got risk on the back end. How do I sell this? Who is my buyer? Uh, what can they pay for this lot? per lot or this piece of property. And so tell me a little bit of how you mitigate that risk. Yeah. So um, I uh, talked to other developers and saw who asked who's buying um, in that area, almost like pulling a seller's list and uh, a buyer's list. I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, I would call the the land guys for particular track builders and say, Hey man, I got a piece of land at this address. What are you guys buying lots for? I would do that early on, maybe before I get the land out of the contract, definitely after. Um, and then they'll say, hey, we're buying you know, 65000 a lot uh, with water and sewer. And I just reverse engineer the math. All right, it's going to cost me about 25000 a lot to develop. I need to get the dirt at 10 a lot. All right, that's my spread right there. Mm-hmm. And so just I know that reverse wholesaling. Sell. That's all it is. <laughs> You know, 70% ARV minus repairs, minus your wholesale fee. That's what you need to get the land. It's the same thing. I just get my ARV from the builder that's buying the lots and reverse engineer the math. I back out my rehab, which is the the, the money it's going to cost to develop the land, back out the purchase price, and then my wholesale fee. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I know that you you do something as well. So let me recap. Right. What you're doing is you're taking a piece of land. And first of all, uh, what I found is that there's a lot of single family, just residential wholesalers who get these land deals all the time. Like when I looked back through my CRM, I had them everywhere. I had them all over the place. And I was like at the time, like, nope, I don't I don't I'm not even going to waste my time with that because I've gone down that rabbit hole once or twice. And I just I didn't know quite how to put it all together. So I just discard them. So first of all, you probably got a lot of these deals sitting in your CRM or other wholesalers and agents that you know have these deals. They're already there. Um, mm-hmm. And then what you're doing is you're is you're doing a quick estimation and saying, okay, I well actually it what, what I got from you is you're going out and you're talking to a lot of these national home builders and you're finding yep. the areas that they're already developing in. And you're just asking the, let's just say the, like the land purchaser at these, you know, national builders, Lennar, um, there's a bunch of them. And you're sitting here saying, what are you paying per lot in this area? They say, we pay $50,000 per lot in this area and it needs X, Y, and Z. Okay, great. Go back to the sellers, find out um, how big the land is. You're looking in and you're saying like, you know, based on the zoning codes, I could probably get a hundred lots on this piece of property right here. Okay. You reverse right. engineer that and you say, just like you said, well, if they're going to pay me 50 and I buy it at 10 per lot and it's going to cost me another 10 per lot to get it entitled. Okay. I just created a $30,000 per lot spread on a hundred lots. That's the type of upside that this is creating $3 million potentially in these types of deals. And I know that these are the sizes of deals that you're doing. They're not like tens of thousands of dollars. They're millions of dollars in most cases. 
Yeah, they are. They are. And, and that's the thing, man. That's where that barbell comes in. You got your consistent wholesales and flips, but that, those land development deals, they are the opposite side. And again, they take some a little bit more time. You ask for nine months for a reason, because most of the time it takes that time to close one out. But that 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 payday is a lot different from a wholesale deal. Mm -hmm. And I found that actually the work needed to close a $15,000 deal, not that much different than a $1.5 million deal. It's not, it really isn't. It's crazy how that works. So, you know, I've been saying this to myself is like, just move the decimal, you know, move the decimal because the, the amount of work it takes to go after those types of deals is about the same, but you also, um, you know, you have to have some reliability in your life because there's no guarantee these deals go. You could get all the way to yep. the end and you could lose it for, for yeah. whatever reason. And, and, and again, unlike wholesaling, there is a, a little bit of a barrier of entry. Like, do I have to pay that engineer to draw those plans? I have to pay that surveyor. I um, just got a survey bill for um, maybe a month ago that we, that we took care of already. It was $25,000 to do an um, aerial survey, a topo on the 91-acre site. You got to have those funds available to invest into a project that's going to net seven figures, um, yeah. you know, when you're all said and done. But I'll, I'll do that all day, every day. Spend spend a hundred grand to make a million. I mean, it makes total sense. It's it is it is an upside play, though. Right. And you have right. to treat it. It's, right. There's not a ton of reliability in that. Um until you get really good at it. And that's what you're starting yeah. to do is like, now you're, you've got six of these going and that's the beauty of these upside plays is eventually you can shift them over to your reliable side of the barbell. Once you've gotten that's systems and processes and built in and you're doing that right now, it seems. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. We're definitely in that transition. That's why I said that six words, you know, just sticking to the basics because all six of those are closed this year. And at that point, you know, you got to count on the, it, it'll be time to really check check inventory to see how close to that uh, solvable problem we are and what we need to get closer to that because that this this could be a game breaking a game changing year for us. Yeah. So cool, man. I'm I'm appreciative of all the things that you've shown me because now I'm going after some of these larger deals and I've found that, like you said it's actually, it's just the same amount of work. You just have to know there's certain things you have to understand about it. You know, uh, finding a mentor who can kind of guide you through your first couple deals is probably yep. something worth doing. Again, it's all about this whole barbell strategy is all about removing risk. So mm -hmm. the way I look at that is like saying, well, you can even remove even more risk by finding someone who knows what they're doing, by working with somebody who's already done this before and that can guide you through it so you don't get blindsided. And yeah, you could you can probably spend 50 to 100 grand or 200, 300 grand. Some of the ones I've looked at, like I need probably two, 300 to actually do it. Yeah. And there's still a lot of risk with that. Yeah, the payday might yeah. be multiple seven figures, but are you are you in a position where you could lose you know, $200,000 and still recover. I don't know. Not everybody is. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is just find somebody who knows what they're doing. Agreed hundred percent, man. And partner, you know, I'm partnering with probably four or five different guys at CG on some deals, just showing them the process and walking them through it. So yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we finish usually by 
having uh, or sharing your greatest lesson learned. You've learned so many things over this business. You're very focused on your solvable problem. You've got an excellent barbell, but what is your, your greatest lesson learned that you'd like to leave the audience with? Deal of a lifetime comes around once a week. I remember when I first got into wholesaling, I got a 12 unit under contract for 325,000. And I knew, I knew I could wholesale it for 400. Um, I had about two months and just couldn't find a buyer, couldn't find a buyer. Um, contract expired. It went on the market the next week, 400,000. Mm. Sold in two days. And I was so bummed because I, I was literally planning, you know, I can make 75 grand. And man, I was like, I just couldn't find a buyer. This was probably my third or fourth deal early in the process. Um, but my mentor is like, man, don't get down. The deal of a lifetime comes around once a week. Yeah, I was in the really in the, I mean, in a bad spot mentally about a $75,000 deal. Now I'm here talking to you about seven figure deals that we're working on now. The deal of a lifetime comes around once a week. Don't be discouraged if you miss out or if the cash flow isn't there for you to take advantage of opportunity now. A time will come where you will be able to if you keep at it. Deal of a lifetime comes around once a week. It really does. That's so good. It just it's it it highlights the the FOMO that a lot of us feel. Uh, it and it, I just I personally believe that a lot of that's biological. Like we didn't ask for it. This is just what our brains are wired towards. You're going to be wired towards. Oh, if I don't take this opportunity, I'm going to miss out on something, right? And right. Right. That's just not the case. There's a, there's a, what, what, how did you say it? There's a, a deal of a lifetime comes around every week. That has been true in my experience, right? Being willing to say no to certain things so you can create the space to say yes to the right thing when it does come. Yeah. And again, that missing that deal helped me just, I was more focused on building my buyers list. It helped me focus in more on what I was doing. And when other opportunities arose, I was ready. I was there for it. But um, I'm not upset about missing an opportunity no more just because of how I progressed in real estate. And more deals are coming that are way bigger than those, way bigger than that, uh, you know, one wholesale fee I could have made. Yeah. Well, Council, if folks wanted to get in touch with you because they've got a piece of land in Greensboro, North <laughs> Carolina, and they're like, Dude, I have a piece of land and I think it could work for what what this is. And they either they want to find someone who's got your level of experience. How can they get in touch with you? How can they learn more about what you're doing in your company? Absolutely, man. They can always follow us on socials, count COF Glenn and Instagram. Um, my email is uh, my first name, count C-O-U-N-C-I-A-L dot Glenn, G-L-E-N-N at gmail.com. That's a great way to get in touch with me. Uh, or just, you know, like I said, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, yeah, we'd love to connect with some people. Perfect. Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes so that uh, folks can reach out to you. But if you are doing land, especially in the Southeast, Council has yep. helped me tremendously um, here in Colorado. He's just a, a giver and someone who is very experienced and all this sort of stuff. So if you want to learn more about that, I highly recommend you reach out to him. Um uh, and lastly, everyone who's listening, we encourage you to use the investor frame. So knowing what you know now in the conversation that Council and I just had about his barbell and his solvable problem, 
Ask yourself what needs to change in your life and your business to help you get closer to the things that you want without chasing more and more and taking on all this unnecessary risk. So Council, thank you so much for, for joining me today and sharing your experience. Like I said, I've gotten a tremendous amount of uh, value of just knowing you and, and you sharing what you know with me. So I can't thank you enough uh, for everybody else. Thanks for tuning in and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode.